city or listen. That sometimes conflict, because my idea is idea. Like conflict is going to happen in the church. And these two ladies have had conflict, but it's kind of hit to the point where it's like, well, Paul's saying, okay, it's time to move on from this. Remember this idea of standing firm. It's a church that needs to stand firm. And he says, hey, you two ladies, uh, can we get over this? Can we agree to disagree? And, and this is important because it's not a doctrinal issue or Paul would have addressed it. I mean, if one of them was teaching wrong, and like other books of the Bible, Paul just said, hey, uh, Lydia, like, like you're wrong here. Th- this isn't good. Syntyche, you need to stop preaching this thing. He doesn't say that. He says, I need you to, to agree in the Lord. Meaning, you're going to keep disagreeing with one another. You're probably not going to work out your difference. Let's move on and get back after what we're here for. Agree in the Lord. He tells them, like, you're on the same team. And he asks someone, like, will you help? Help these women who have been faithful servants. And I want you to see this. These aren't just like two kind of gossip ladies in the church. These are people who have been instrumental in helping the church get started. They've worked side by side with Paul. He said, hey, he named someone. Hey, my, my companion, they had to know who that was. Will you help these women get along? Here's what Paul's telling them. Guys, we've been working together. We've been struggling. We've rejoiced together. We've cried together. We've won. We've lost together. We've been used by God to build this church. Don't let some little difference tear you apart. Like, what does that have to do with standing firm? And, And if we look at the overall, the big picture of Philippians, we've told you Philippians is about joy in any circumstance, and right thinking. Those are the two themes. What does this little comment about these two women not getting along have anything to do with those? Here's why. We talked about it several weeks ago. Because unity begins in the mind. Unity is a thinking issue. He's going to tell these women, listen, you're disagreeing. That's okay. But you're not going to work out your disagreement. You need to agree in the Lord, meaning you need to think differently and say, we're not going to agree on this. Let's drop it and move on and agree in the Lord, like agree on what we can agree on. When when we did our marriage seminar, we taught our couples, this came from research, that 69% of conflict in marriage is perpetual, meaning it's unsolvable. Young people, did you get that? Youth, college students, 69%. Of conflict in marriage is unsolved. We said that in, in our conference, and one of the people were like, You gotta be kidding me. That's why we came here for you to fix our conflict, right? Why, why is it? Because, because it's tied to personality. So I will always want to stay up late. My wife will always want to go to bed early. That's who we are. And it's all, it will always be a source of tension and conflict in our marriage. Just will. 69% of conflict in marriage is unsolvable. Here's what Paul knows their disagreement's probably unsolvable. They both kind of dug in their heels. And here's what he's going to say. Let's drop it because it's really not a big deal or he would have addressed it. And let's agree in the Lord. Unity is a thinking issue. Unity begins in the mind. And so he's going to, he, he's going to talk about standing firm. He's going to start to talk about thinking, about contentment. And he drops this little situation here, I think, to show us an example of how unity, how situations are a thinking, a heart issue, not just an action issue. Look what he says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness 
think he's talking to a couple ladies there. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So this is, so he says, I want you to stand firm. Ah, a little divert. Hey, you two ladies need to get along. Transition statement. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's what he's doing. He's bringing them back to right thinking. He deals with an issue, but it right again, here we go, right thinking. And he's going to continue to develop this idea over this, the rest of chapter 4. Like at first, when I was studying this, I was like, what is he doing? It's like he's changing direction back and forth. But the more I looked at this, no, I was like, it's all tied together. Because unity is a right thinking issue. So Paul's going to start to tie his two themes together. Remember, here's the two themes we've taught you through Philippians. Joy in spite of circumstances. How we can have joy in our lives no matter what's happening. That's the first theme. And the second one is right thinking. Here's what we're going to see he does. He's going to tie the two together. The key to joy in any circumstance is right thinking. The key to joy in any circumstance is right thinking. When we talk about contentment, having joy, contentment is a right thinking issue. Standing firm, spiritual stability, it's a right thinking issue. So he's going to say, rejoice in your circumstances. No. Rejoice in your finances. No. Rejoice in the Lord. And all through the book of Philippians, we see this theme from Paul of when we are building our foundational contentment, when we're building our contentment on things that are temporary, we are setting ourselves up for extreme letdown. When we're building our contentment on things that are temporary, we are setting ourselves up for extreme letdown. Is your contentment based on the happiness of your marriage? Is your contentment based on climbing the ladder? In business? Is your contentment based on a relationship? Because the whole idea of right thinking is when we put our contentment on something that can change, something that can let us down, then we will be destroyed. And here's what he's going to say rejoice in the Lord. That's right thinking. So spiritual stability is directly tied to what you think about God. Rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. Spiritual stability is directly tied to what you think about God. This is why doctrine is so important. Because many of you don't know what to think about God because you don't have doctrine to inform you on who that God is. So you think about God, but it's the God that you've kind of made up in your mind. One thing we teach our kids, we have five foundational truths. We teach our, we have a lot of our kids in here today. Kids, you listen up. This is for you. We have a lot of our, our young ones in here today. Uh, we, one, we teach our kids five foundational truths. And kids, this is your foundational truth for this morning. I want you to understand that God is in charge of everything. You guys seen that before, kids? God is in charge of everything. Keep that up there. Why is this important that we teach our kids? Because Paul's going to say, rejoice in the Lord. Many of you want to rejoice in the Lord, but you, your idea of God is a God that has given the world a good spin and now he's out of control. So everything that happens is like, oh my gosh, I wish God could step in. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is he's in control of all things. Give me an example. 
This week I'm on my iPhone. I flip over to the right to the news app and it's four stories. Guess what it's about? Syria and North Korea and all that stuff. And immediately in my mind I'm thinking, the fate of our world is in the hands of a couple of crazy people. And this, not panic, but just kind of this fear starts to creep over. And then Emily's sitting next to me, and, I, and it happened again last night, and I said something like that. And she goes, well, actually, is it in their hands? Yeah, smart aleck mark. <laughs> but she's right. Because what I say I believe is God is in charge of everything. What I believe in that moment is no uh, Trump's in charge. See, what I think about God, what I know about God is so important for my joy and my contentment because spiritual stability is directly tied to what I think about God. But in order to think about God, I have to not have knowledge of who that God is. So Paul's going to tell them, rejoice in the Lord. Not in your version of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, the Lord of the Bible. So find someone who is stable. You ever seen that person? It seems like no matter what's coming against them, like they just have this firm foundation. Find that person. I'll show you someone who has an understanding of God and a peace that passes all understanding. Because they know that God's in control of everything. He's in charge of everything. And that everything he allows is some way, we don't know always how, some way for my good, and therefore I can be at peace because God's in charge of everything. Spiritual stability is tied to what we think about God. So Paul tells them, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the character and nature of God. That he's sovereign. He's in charge of everything. That everything he does is for our good. That's what the Bible tells you. Everything he's done in your life is for your good. Rejoice in the Lord that He saved me and made me His child and upon nothing I did to deserve that. Rejoice in the Lord that you have an inheritance with Christ. Rejoice in the Lord that death is not the end. Rejoice in that. The key to joy in all circumstances is right thinking. Because here's the reality, guys. We don't always wake up ready to sing. Oh, it's such a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Like, is that, does anyone wake up like that? And if you, if you do, like you drive your spouse crazy because some, we don't like that person that early in the morning, right? But we don't always wake up ready to sing. So if joy and contentment only comes when I feel like it or when I get what I desire, my life will be up and down, up and down because I'm rejoicing in circumstances. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. See, dis discontentment comes when I don't get what I think I want, what I think I deserve. And when that happens, I start thinking on that, I deserve better. I shouldn't have gotten that. That's when discontentment comes in. And I love this. We have the Psalms as an example. I met with someone a couple weeks ago um, who has uh, a lady who has cancer. And it doesn't look great. And we sat down at Panera and we just talked and she cried and we talked about, about how she can find contentment and joy in this circumstance and what's it look like to be honest with God about how she feels but yet not be swayed by her emotions. We just, it was just a, just a raw talk. And I pointed her to, to this passage because I think Psalm 13, and keep your, keep your uh, 
finger in Philippians. We're going to turn there. Psalm 13. I want you to see this psalm because this is going to give us an example of exactly what it means to rejoice in the Lord in spite of circumstances. This is a psalm of David. And David is being pursued by his enemies. It looks like they're going to overtake him. And here's what he says. And I want you to hear the raw, honest vulnerability that David lays out for us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now that's raw. How long will you hide your face from me? Meaning, God, I'm praying and I feel like I'm getting nothing back. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? That's his question. He's crying out, God, how long? I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. I can't make sense of it. He goes on, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Like, God, this is going to kill me. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. David has just cried out to God in vulnerability. His feelings have just come out. And God gives us permission to that. But the problem is when we stop right there. Notice David doesn't stop there. Here's what he says. But, right thinking, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Rejoice in the Lord. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the Lord. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Rejoice in the Lord. So Paul's going to tell us if we want to stand firm in the faith, it's not that we just have to pretend all the time like, oh, everything's great and I have no trouble. That's not what he's talking about. He's going to say, let it out. Let your frustration out. Let your anger out. But then after you do that, come back and say, I'm going to rejoice in the, Lord, in the Lord. I'm going to have right thinking. And so David says, but I have trust in your steadfast love. And at some level, I think David's trying to convince himself of that as he's praying. Like in himself, he's saying, I feel like I'm going to die. Why are my enemies taking over me? What's going on? And he's saying, but, and I think he's preaching himself, I'm trusting your steadfast love. I'm going to rejoice. So the key to contentment in life, despite any circumstance, is right thinking. And Paul's going to tell them, rejoice in the Lord. So when we talk about having a gospel-centered life, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about preaching that gospel. Gospel being that we don't get what we deserve. We deserve hell. And God's given us grace of preaching that to myself, of thinking that, of preaching that to myself to start to shape my beliefs and my loves and my heart. It's right thinking. He goes on, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. A lot of times in the church when we're, you know, we're teaching and we're talking about sin, you know, we'll focus on things like sexual immorality, pornography, 
drunkenness, things like that. You know anxieties, being anxious, it's just as toxic. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Let your request be made known to God. John Piper defines anxiety as an intense desire for something, an intense desire accompanied with a fear of not receiving it. Intense desire for something accompanied with a fear of not receiving it. One thing we teach a lot when I do marriage counseling is, is fear and longing are the same thing. They're just different sides of the, co- of the coin. So what I'm anxious about is something I'm fearing, but it's also tied to a deep longing that, I'm ha- that I have. I'm afraid it won't happen. So fear or an- anxiety and, and f- is, sorry, my thoughts here. Uh, fear and longing are the same side or same coin, just different sides. I'm anxious about something that I really, really want to happen. I'm a desire I'm longing for. But then the other side is the fear that what happens when it doesn't come. How my kids will turn out. There's desires there. There's great desires of what I want for my kids. Accompanied by fear of what happens if that doesn't happen. Paying the bills. Graduating college. So anxiety happens when fear and longing when they're in conflict with one another. And here's what he's going to say. Don't be anxious about anything because God's in control. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right thinking. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. So Paul is trying to teach these people, if you want to stand firm in your faith, he deals with this little argument between these two ladies. It's all about right thinking. So he's going to tell us, fight anxiety with truth. Anxious thought. It's tied to some fear I have or some great longing that I'm afraid it's not going to happen. I feel anxious. What do I do? Do I live in that? No. He's going to say, rejoice in the Lord. Anxious thought. I feel anxiety coming over me. All these things. What's going to happen with, with uh, Syria and North Korea? And what's going to happen with all that? What do, I, do, I, do I let that overtake me? No. Right thinking. Rejoice in the Lord. So Paul's going to tell us the key to joy in any circumstances is right thinking. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and let your father, and yet your father feeds them. Are you not more than they? Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, that's a thinking thing, the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like any of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? See, Jesus is going to tell us when anxiety comes, it's a thinking issue. And he's going to say, consider the birds. Consider the grass. Think about the lilies. It's right thinking. Here, I found this in my study, awesome commentary, and I'm going to ask Molly to throw it up on our Facebook page later today. You can read it and dwell on it some. Here's what, it's, it's by Martin Lloyd-Jones writing on this text on Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. Faith according to our Lord's teaching in this paragraph, is primarily thinking. So tied to that Sermon on the Mount, faith is primarily thinking. And the whole trouble with a man of little faith is he doesn't think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. We must spend more time in studying our Lord's lessons and observation and deduction. He keeps going. The Bible is full of logic We must never think of faith as something purely mystical. We do not just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. Not like the the faith genie comes and hits you on the head. This is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is essentially thinking. Look at the birds. Think about them and draw your deductions. Look at the grass. Think about them. Draw your deductions. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock him down. The key to joy in any circumstance is right thinking. Are you going to be drunk with your circumstances? Or are we going to, as circumstances happen, say, I have a choice and what I do with this, and I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord in what is unchanging. Key to joy in any circumstance is right thinking. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, he's going to tell us what this looks like. Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, what's our next word? Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, here's a great word, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's Paul's recipe for joy. Right thinking. Rejoice in the Lord. So question. Anxiety comes. Anxious thought comes. A thought, a a situation that's not pure, lovely, it comes. What do you do with that? Do you numb? And just turn to something to get that, oh, I just got to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with this situation. I'm just going to turn to something else. And, And do you go to some addiction to numb that? Anxious thoughts, something comes, I'm not content, I don't like what's happening. What do you do with that? Do you, do you uh, this is a good one, do you distract? Instagram, scroll. Scroll, numb, distract. Because that's easier than dealing 
with what I'm thinking. See, Paul's going to tell us contentment in life is about right thinking. It's thinking on what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise. And as we do that, contentment comes. And here's what he tells us. Practice these things. Practice. One of the things I've told you from the beginning is our practices shape our beliefs. Our practices shape us. Shape us. So he's going to say, practice these things. The, the art of thinking, the art of reflecting, rejoicing in the Lord, that is a practice. And our practices shape our beliefs. And this is fundamental for us here at Hill City, that our practices are, will shape us. If you want to read a great book, read the book is called You Are What You Love. It's about our, how our practices and our thinking shape us. But our practices shape us. So if my practice is dwelling on negative, on troublesome, on worry, uh, and turning to distraction and numbing, all those things, if, my, if that's my practice, guess what? That will shape me. I've told you all along, this Facebook on your phone, that is a practice. And I promise you, it is shaping you. Our practices shape us. So Paul's going to say, here's a practice for you. Think on what is true, lovely, pure, holy, worthy of praise. Because your practices will shape you. So Hill City... Living a Christian life, living a, a life that's firm, having a firm foundation, it is not passive. It is not a passive life. It is an active life. Faith is not a passive thing. You don't come to church and all of a sudden, because I read some scripture and, and, said, a, and said a prayer over you, like all of a sudden, like the faith genie's going to hit you and everything changes. That doesn't happen. That's passive. Faith is active. It comes with practices that as we think and as we preach to ourselves and we read as we pray that the Lord is actually shaping us and as He shapes us, our belief and our desires start to change. And it spills into everything we do. It spills into how we, how we approach church. Like here's, I hope you've learned this by now. We're almost a year old at Hill City. We don't care about giving you a great emotional feeling at church on Sundays. We're not going to have fog. We're not going to have like laser lights and kind of, we're just not doing that stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not us. Because here's what I believe, that while emotions are great, they don't shape us. Their emotions come out of what we love and what we desire. And so we are going to focus on changing our desires, shaping our desires and emotion and love and all that comes out of that. Church isn't for you to come get some spiritual fix or shot in the arm or whatever analogy you want to use. Give you a spiritual high for the rest of the week. That is someone that is not firm. They're wavering back and forth. And Thursday here is, man, I got to get to church. I got to get that. I got to get back. You get that feeling again. That's not firm foundation. Firm foundation doesn't happen in an hour-long worship service. I tell you guys all this, church won't fix you. But as you start implementing practices into your life, those practices will shape you. Whichever practice it is will shape you. It depends which way you want to go. Your practices will shape you. And Paul's going to tell us a practice for contentment is right thinking. 
So at Hill City, that's why we sing, we tend to sing more theologically rich songs than we do emotional feeling songs. Not saying it's bad to sing those, I'm saying that's why we do that. That's why here in about three minutes, you're going to get up and you're going to walk forward and you're going to receive communion because that is a practice. Like the practice of you walking forward every week to remind yourself, my faith is in Jesus' blood, not my behavior, is a practice that I pray will shape you. That's why we'd encourage you to read the Bible. I don't want you to read the Bible to make God proud of you. I want you to read the Bible because that is a practice that will shape you. You'll learn about God. You'll be able to rejoice in the true God and not your made up God. That's why in our gatherings, we walk through the gospel every single week. Glory of God, sin, cross, response, every single week. Why? It's a practice. The goals that would shape us. Hill City, what are you thinking about? What are you worrying about? What are you preaching to yourself? What are you dwelling on? Because your thinking shapes you. Your practices shape you. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So as we receive communion today, the practice of receiving communion, I pray that practice shapes our belief. That it reinforces the truth and I hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. May you think that because your thinking affects everything. Let's pray together.